There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk The Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey with Workflow Solutions. Thomas, how are you? I'm fine, Willie. How are you doing? Fine, fine. So another week in paradise. Well, I don't know about paradise, but you must be happy with the by-election result. I know this is the business show, Willie, but I don't think you can you can keep a good man down with a smile on your face today. Well, we didn't touch on it last Sunday, but yeah, um, because we keep repeating it as the business show. But obviously, when you hear what's been said at conference this week, then hopefully if the Labour Party follow through on some of the items that they have touched on, you know, uh, at the conference in Liverpool this week, then I think business will be very, very happy. And I know that a few um, house builders already have said, look, this is fantastic news if if you can deliver on it. Yeah, I mean, I think what, what was interesting to me was when they spoke to the, the voters on the doorstep, as they say, the voters were kind of fed up with all political parties they were just fed up to the back teeth. They were worried about the cost of living and they just felt the political parties weren't really listening or supporting them. And I think if any political party can step up, be accountable for what they do and actually follow through with some of these things, what a revelation that would be, Willie. Yeah, you're right. And and I think that uh, in order for the Labour Party to keep momentum going, I think they're going to have to follow through. And I think people should hold their feet to the fire. But I would certainly say that it's been a you know, great introduction and you know, some of the Rachel Reeves' speech. It was interesting watching some of the footage. It was brilliant. Great PR to see that everyone couldn't get into the hall that wanted in. <laughs> Do you go down, Molly, to these things? No, I don't. Um, no. Uh, no, a couple of years ago, Go, I went when we had a different leader and I thought I was actually on the menu. I thought they were talking about me. <laughs> so uh, I haven't been back since then. But um, if we keep performing the way we performed this week, then I'll certainly go go back to them. And I love going to Liverpool, so it's a good excuse to go, go back to Liverpool. But I, I, I think that one of the things, Tom, it's interesting that a big, big part of, you know, not only Keir, but a few other members of the cabinet have to say that housing is absolutely paramount and we have to make a difference. And when you see, I don't know if you've seen it, Tom, the programme this week about the rent cap and it showed you some of the young people in Edinburgh, you yeah. know, and in other places, to be fair, but mostly in Edinburgh where you've seen the anxiety. You don't think, you know, all oh, the landlords just put their rent up and know what's the problem. But I mean, you, you, people there didn't know where they were going to go tomorrow. No. Either young girl was a student talking about going back to Brighton to live with her parents. So I, I think that we, def, you know, I, I don't think that the solution that the Greens have come up with is, is the answer, but I definitely think that we have to do something to make sure that landlords cannot do this to people, like, you know, on a whim. And obviously there seems to be a loophole that, you know, if it's a new lease for just one of the tenants in a multi-use flat, then, then they can change the rules for all. 
I mean, yeah. to, to tell three young people that your rent's going to go up from £550 a month to £750 is, is diabolical. And when yeah. I think about it, Tom, and what we're trying to do, and especially what I'm trying to do, you know, build real quality homes for real affordable prices, I wish I had a magic wand and I could deliver 50000 tomorrow because <laughs> there's, there's no doubt that the, that the dilemma with housing... Right, that we hear has got to be faced into. I think it's a number one priority. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a bit like the short-term license that the Scottish government's come up with for the Airbnb type things. You know, I think we've got to go back to first principles. What what problem are we trying to solve here? So the problem to me is quite easy to articulate. It's that we don't have enough supply either in the housing market or the letting market. Now, I think we all agree with that. And then we've got to say, right, how are we going to solve that? You're not going to solve it with rent caps and you're not going to solve it with these short-term licensing things which really put off people putting their properties on the market to lease. You've got to have a joined-up thinking We've got to encourage the investors to build more supply. That's the key to it all. The demand is hugely outstripping the supply. But Tom, you're so right about that because, and I hope that the politicians are looking at the statistics from the government on it, only 20% of the 32,000 properties listed for short-term lights have applied for the licence. I know. So that know. means that either 27,000 are now not going to be available or they've decided they're going to be rogue, right? So this is not the answer. It's absolutely no, it's... not the answer. It's just like all the other stuff we've been talking about, the DRS scheme, you know, the alcohol, ever. These are all, you know, sledgehammers to crack a nut. Yeah. Right? They and, have to be more thought through. And I think you and I, and perhaps even Patrick Harvey would say, we have an issue here, but we disagree how we solve it. But you and I know the only way to solve the housing in Scotland and, and indeed the UK is to build more supply. Yeah. <laughs> There's no doubt that, again, you no know, politics getting in the way of business and we're not saying that things don't have to be changed. I was horrified watching that programme, right? But that is it's not the answer. We have to find a solution. And I think that, you know, that we've mentioned it in weeks gone past, there are so many investors, so many developers now not interested in doing anything in Scotland because of all of these problems. Yeah. That's yeah. a shame. We're never going I... to fix... We are never going to fix the housing problem if we're not all welcoming and the legislation does not get in the way of running a business. But that's not to say that we don't fight for better rights for tenants, which hopefully... I'm going to be introducing in the new apartments that I'll be renting out very shortly. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to coming to see these new apartments, Willie, because are, are they finished now? The first 33 people will move in in the next four to six weeks. Fantastic. Yeah, and uh, what I've done is, you know, that we're going to build 356, but I've told my guys I want to hear from the 33 people who live in these apartments just to see what we've got right, what we've got wrong, because I don't want to go in and make 350 mistakes the same. So, um, But hopefully there won't be too many things wrong and we continue with building out the rest of the development. And hopefully, and I think this is happening, Willie, some of the policymakers 
are coming to see you and I hope they listen and understand what's actually going on here. Yeah, well, I have to be fair here that the, the, the Scottish government have been very involved. You know, I've spoke to many people over the last few weeks, so hats off to them for being interested. Good. It's fair to say they're more interested than the offer I've made to Patrick Harvey on at least three occasions. Right, so uh, so that just tells you everything that's okay in the sidelines wanting to shout about what you don't think's right, but when you get an opportunity of seeing something that may be the answer and you don't want to bother to come and see it, so that tells you everything. Maybe maybe fourth time lucky. Will yeah, it? no, no, there'll not be a fourth time. That's t- <laughs> that, that ship has sailed, right? It wasn't made at Ferguson Marine. Don't mention, don't mention the ferries. Come on now. Come on. So I see a wee bit of better news. I see that uh, Glasgow Airport. That has reduced its losses, you know, first since the pandemic. Yeah, so, I mean, the numbers at Glasgow Airport are quite incredible. It's went to a 214% surge in the passengers. Now, of course, it's skewed by the pandemic, but Glasgow's serving 6.5 million passengers through it. I mean, another thing for a vibrant economy is good airline links. And I know you and I have been quite critical in the past about, oh, you can't fly direct to various places. And we always thought, you know, sometimes Glasgow wasn't getting the rub of the green here. But, I mean, have they expanded where, where we can fly to, Willie? I mean, I, I haven't really noticed. Well, I know that they were working on a few new routes and they were looking to the government for some help on that. I actually was at a meeting where the chief executive of, of Glasgow Airport was there. And, you know, really good guy and obviously got a big passion to try and grow the, the traffic at Glasgow. But I think it's fair to say that, um, we've mentioned this in the past, that there has been a wee bi- bit of bias towards Edinburgh Airport. And I think that hopefully if we can shake things up in, in Holyrood, that Glasgow will get a fair shake. I don't know of any new routes at the moment, so it'll be interesting. Anybody from the airport listening to the show want to come on and tell us how you're getting on or if we can help you, we'll be delighted to hear from you. But it is great to see, but it's staggering, Tom, when you think that we were all affected you know, during COVID, everyone but to see that the parent company has debts of over 700 million because of what the pandemic done to them is absolutely frightening. So I think everyone now who is happy to be back in the air should be happy that, you know, if we're paying a wee bit more to help the damage that was done during that period. Absolutely, Willie. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, you certainly think we are when we see the prices now to fly. <laughs> I don't think there's such a thing as a cheap flight anymore. <laughs> so, Willie... Credit where credit's due, Richard Lockhead of the Scottish Government has been over in Los Angeles and he has been leading Scotland's bid to become Europe's leading space nation. And the incredible thing is that Glasgow is leading the way in the space sector. The jobs which we feel can be created by this sector, it's it's over 20,000 and Glasgow is leading the way, it's leading Scotland and it's leading Europe. Now, I think you were at a dinner where this was talked about, Willie. Yeah, this is an amazing story. I was at Strathclyde University's annual dinner last week or the week before. Yeah. And a gentleman who was receiving the principal's medal was the, actually the lad who's responsible for kick-starting everything to do with Space Nation in Scotland. I think the last name was Craig Clark, if I'm right, wow. Craig Clark, right? And what a story. What a story. He'd been in that industry, went down, down south, came back to Scotland, right, and started looking at how we could launch satellites from Scotland and all that. Absolutely amazing story. And this 
This is less than 20 years ago, and today we have 1,600 companies in Scotland, all in this industry. So he was receiving a medal on that evening, and he read this today. Again, all credit should go right back to him and that. So Glasgow, Scotland, thanks you for everything you have done to help us to maybe become Europe's leading space nation. It's not rocket science, Willie. <laughs> so here's an interesting one. I was yeah. talking to someone this week who comes from the pension industry, uh-huh. uh, who, who deemed me be an expert, and he was trying to explain to me how that the Strathclyde Pension Fund is uh, oversubscribed. Okay. Right. And what he was saying to me was there was a huge surge in the value of guilds and bonds during the you know, the trussonomics and then the rebound and all of that stuff. Oh, goodness. So I... there was a kind of recalibration of it. It gave me a better example because he didn't know exactly what the Strathclyde Benjamin was saying. But, but because of this adjustment, the BBC's pension liability overnight went from 20 billion to 14 billion. <laughs> so the following day, there was 6 billion better off. Right? <laughs> But what he was also explaining to me is, is that when people are jumping up and down about thinking that's good, he also explained to me that someone cashing in their pension previous to this may have got a huge lump sum. It could be maybe as much as £2 million. Wow. Right. When things wind forward now, after that, and it looks like good news for the liabilities, that person in the next few years might be getting as less as £400,000. Wow. Right, but what he's telling me is, it's the government that have to step in and make up the deficit. All right, I didn't understand right. that. So all of that good news for the pension funds, right, is actually a nightmare for the government. Right? Uh-huh. So they better start to factor in the extra debt, right, that's going to have to be introduced, right, at a certain period. So I thought that was fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Right, well, I, I don't know about that, Willie. <clears throat> well, when we're talking about pension funds again, Tom, following on for last week, market's a wee bit jittery. You know, we mentioned Japan last week. I keep telling the listeners that, you know, I, I watch Bloomberg, and I said to you last week, I'm telling you, I've been watching Bloomberg for 20 years, uh-huh. and I've never seen so many experts who are unwilling to put their head in the block in relation to where they think the markets are going to go? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I, as, as I say, I have no idea where the markets are going to go. Right. <laughs> I, I never have and I never will. Right. Uh, better men than me might, might know better than, than that. But yes, I think there is an uneasiness. and Obviously, the terrible things happening in Israel and the Gaza Strip over the past few days, it's just, it's terrible. Heartbreaking, and it it just leads in financial markets to destabilisation. And where does destabilisation? Basically, the cost of our borrowing goes up. So we did have some good news on interest rates, but things like a war in the Middle East, then the price of oil, all these things. I mean, the listeners might think, well, how does it affect me when I'm trying to build my business here in Scotland? But it it just might it might mean your borrowing goes up, you know, over and above all the human tragedy that's going on there, so. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, the news this week that we've seen the, the atrocities in, in, in the Gaza, you know, were, were terrifying. And again, the knock-on effect that that'll have from everyone in that region is just frightening. But I think that going back to the, the jitters in the market and watching some of the stuff this week and watching the stuff with the Metro Bank, you know, that uh, I believe some Greek billionaire or separate billionaire has bought a huge stake in the Metro Bank for like £159 million or something, right? Jamie Galinsky, who right. a well-known investor, a lot of property deals, he's been in deals with people I know, has a very good reputation, and he his specialism is buying assets at distressed prices and turning them round. Whether he, whether he can do that with Metro Bank is still to be seen. Yeah, big, big gamble, big gamble. Yeah. Yeah. So, Willie, I was very sad to hear of the passing of Chuck Feeney. Now, you and I know all about Chuck Feeney, but the listeners might not. So, Chuck Feeney, another hero of mine, and what Warren Buffett said about Chuck Feeney was, he's a hero of mine and he should be everybody's hero. And basically, Chuck started with nothing. Him and his business partner, Robert um, Miller come up with duty free so if you went to any airport when the duty free was about it was owned by these two guys he made a great deal of money at today's prices Chuck Feeney actually has given away more than Andrew Carnegie and I just want to quote you there was a good um, obituary in the Times this week from Magnus Llewellyn and this is what he quoted Chuck as saying it is their call what the rich do with their money, Finney said in his New Jersey accent. I would not want to impose my thoughts on any rich person. He can keep it all or spend it all. If he doesn't find anything wrong with buying big yachts, fine, more power to him. But think about giving it away while you're alive because you'll get a lot more satisfaction than if you wait until you're dead. Besides, it's a lot more fun. And he ended up giving away $8 billion. And the and the funny thing about Chuck Feeney's giving is he made it a condition that his name was never attached to it, Willie. Yes. Yep. Which is amazing. And I think you you might have met him once. Yes. I never met him. I was uh, actually, to be honest, I was at a small gathering uh, in New York and he was in the room but and, and obviously he was holding court and everyone was... You know, hanging on to his every word. But we sh maybe you should tell the listeners a wee bit about how he made his money. He had this fantastic idea, I think it was in the early 50s, when all the American soldiers were getting posted all around the world. Yep. They would all come back complaining about the cost of things. And he had this great idea about duty-free if you were abroad. That's so it. he is the man and his partner who basically invented all the duty-free shops that you see throughout the world today. Obviously, of Irish stock, he was very, very um, you know, proud of his roots, obviously brought up in, in the States. I think he was from Cork, Tom, if I remember. Yeah, well, I don't think he was born there, but I think he could trace his family Is back. Is that what it was? But I remember when he, and again without putting his name to it, I remember watching the Eurovision Song Contest a few years ago from Ireland and thinking, what a phenomenal venue how can the local authorities, you know, have spent that amount of money for it? It looked like the hydro in Cork or whatever, whatever it was, and thinking, wow, and then finding out later he paid for it all. 
Wow. And the other thing he did, Willie, was he actually, he, he got so involved in the peace process and yeah. he gave money both to Sinn Féin and the UDA yeah. on the condition that they both worked with President Clinton to broker peace. Yeah. And, and he ended up giving a lot of money there. And he also really believed in education and he gave over a billion dollars to Irish education. What a what a role model. And sorry to hear of his passing. Rest in peace, Chuck Feeney. Coming next, Hunter and Hockey chat to Andrew Vincent, CEO of QuickBlock. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions, part of the Scottish Procurement Framework for Managed Print Solutions, available to all public sector bodies and charities. Go there are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. This week's special guest is Andrew Vincent, CEO of QuickBlock, a smart and intuitive building system which is putting sustainable construction in the hands of everyone. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. Morning, Andrew. Great to have you on. Good morning. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for coming on. Do you want to tell the listeners a wee bit about your story from the start and right up to date? Indeed, yeah. So, um, so my name's Andrew. I'm the the chief exec at Quick Block. But um, I was originally born here in in Glasgow on the south side. Um, went to to school here in Glasgow. Went to Holyrood, just down the road from here. Good old um, Holyrood. Indeed, indeed. Um, that's something obviously we share, um, Willie. Having come come from there, I it sounds like I never left Glasgow. I then went on to university at Strathclyde, but I did get out on the odd occasion. <laughs> but yeah, I. Um, Fairly, you know, fairly, well, a great upbringing, really. My mum and dad um, were both originally from Castmilk, brought me up in Kings Park in the south side. And I kind of always wanted to talk about, you know, talking about my entrepreneurial journey, always wanted to run my own business. And it wasn't because they ran their own business, but I think it was because they were both really hardworking. You know, they both, my mum has always led charities. That's always been her thing. Um, worked really hard out raising money, doing things like that. So I suppose in her own right, was very entrepreneurial. And the same with my dad as well. He was an engineer, worked for the city council, and there's never been a man that's more passionate about transport in this city than, than him, believe it or not. Bring him back. <laughs> Aye, that's it. But, um, but yeah, so always telling them that I wanted to run my own business or I wanted to do my own thing, and they were always fully, you know, fully behind that and, and you know, made me believe or, or, or encouraged me to do whatever I wanted to do. So went on to University of Strathclyde um, and studied business and or marketing and finance and at the time it was during the during the the, the kind of start of the, the credit crunch actually I was fortunate enough to get a graduate role at, at Grant Thornton as an accountant um, so I went in to work in accountancy I actually worked in um, corporate insolvency which was quite a quite a, an odd move for your graduate role everyone else was going into audit and things like that but actually it was really really good because it gave me that kind of experience of working with businesses that unfortunately weren't doing so well but dealt with a lot of sale of business sale of assets and and dealt with people you know and and, and understood how businesses ticked so that was a good way to cut my teeth um 
And then at that point, when I was on my graduate scream at Grant Thornton, I actually, um, what what I would say started my, my first business, it wasn't a business, it was a charity um, and a whole bunch of, um, well, a, a, a group of unbelievable individuals. And I started what's now called Classrooms for Malawi. So it was a, a charitable organisation. We were looking to overcome the the, um, the challenges faced in educational infrastructure in, in Malawi and Africa. And it was a business from day one. You know, we had to incorporate, we had to raise money, we had to do all of the, you know, the things that, that I now find myself repeating in, in my current role. Um, and I was doing that alongside working as an accountant, doing my traineeship. And to be fair, that excited me more than the, you know, the day job. And, and as did, um, I then moved on, I worked for Scottish Enterprise for a period of time. And similarly, I would be, you know, looking at the clock, not because I didn't enjoy my job. I really enjoyed it, but I'd, I'd hit five o'clock and I'd be excited to go and go to meetings or go to meet, you know, donors or, you know, design the website or do, do whatever we were doing with the charity and, and do the great work that we were all doing as a, as a team. So... Um, I always say that was my first startup, as it was. Uh -huh. um, it wasn't my own. Um, I was wor working with others, but that was my first kind of exposure to, to to that world. And then probably the biggest moment was I was fortunate enough to be selected for the Saltire Foundation Fellowship. So I was working at, right. at Scotch Enterprise yeah, yeah. at the time. And I had it's the privilege of my life to be selected for it. I was given a real opportunity, both by my employer at the time, but also by the, the by Entrepreneurial Scotland, which was then the, the Saltire Foundation. Yeah. Um, in that year of my life, for those who aren't aware of the programme, I went away for a best part of a year. Um, some of it was spent in Boston at Babson College. Ah, yeah. Great entrepreneurial. Who we know, school. yeah. Indeed, indeed. I love Babson. Yep. Yeah. So, so spent some time there um, with unbelievable people. There was twenty eight of us on the cohort. And um, it was probably the first time that, I, you know, I'd often, as I said, spoken about running my own business, doing my own thing. But that gave me the push and the confidence to actually go, do you know what, this is this is about time to do that. And I was was 25. I was getting paid pretty good money um, at the time. And I still remember the, the look in my boss's face when I handed in my notice and said, I'm off to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so so that, that, I think, was the, the early stages of... You know, all of the, the things that I'd done then led to having the confidence to go and do it. And there's been a few businesses in between, but that, that kind of serendipitously led to uh, to quick block. Yeah. So right. so I take it now that Scottish Enterprise do not participate in the soul tire <laughs> <laughs> initiative since they're losing their good people. <laughs> but but that's amazing. Funny, I never knew, and you know, obviously we, we know we've been working with soul tire for years. I never knew that they also took people then from the public sector. Yeah, so right. it was it was a um at the time there was people and that's why I consider myself really, really fortunate. There was almost like sponsored part uh, yeah. sponsored scholarships effectively yes. where certain organizations would sponsor it. And I'd put myself forward, applied for it, got the got the gig and then went to my boss and said, Any chance I can get a year off to do this? <laughs> Which was great. It didn't quite work like that, to be fair, but it was it was yeah. very um they were a great employer from that, you know, that that, that angle. So tell us about quick block. So quick, quick Block at its heart is a rapid assembly building system. It's made from 100% recycled plastic and it comes in flat packs so you can fit 250 standard size construction blocks on a pallet. And I always say to people to, to sort of put it in their mind, if you imagine Lego but on adult scale, that is our product. <laughs> Um, so let's go back a wee bit. Right? Yep. Aye, come on, right, come on. Where, so, where did that come from? Eh? You know, you've got oh, you've got the world. You've been to Babson. You come back to the world, your oyster, and you decide to put a 
cross between a Meccano and a Lego set together. What happened? Where does so, comfy? So, so, um, so quick block. Unlike most startups, quick, you know, usually people in my position are the founder. I'm, I'm, I'm not the founder. It wasn't my idea originally, but I was. Someone asked me to to uh, to, to have a look at it. Actually, um, the chairman, who's a phenomenal man, uh, Tom Thompson, um, was looking for someone to come in at the time. They had a minimum viable product. They had a. A little bit of investment had gone into the business at the time, but they were looking for someone to come in and, and uh, raise more investment and really commercialise the product. Given my background, um, you know, we, we sort of connected and I met him up in the sits and M in Glasgow and we sat and had a chat and just like this, you know, we were talking about my background. He was saying, OK, this, you know, that this could work. And um, we said, we've, we've got a product and we want to raise some investment. Would you be, you know, willing to come on board? Um, this was in late 2019 for a, you know come on for a couple of days a week and um, and help us out. I didn't know at that time, but they had a really good product. They had a really good board, and we still continue to have an amazing board and supportive investors. Um, but they they need cash, <laughs> so there was there was there was no money. Um, <laughs> which, which I found well, out fairly quickly. Yeah, yeah, I found that one out fairly quickly. So so the the early days were, was really looking at um, getting a bit of traction um, around the product, understanding. Who we should be taking this to, you know, in the, in the early days, and and um, and then raising some investment, which 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 we eventually did. So in in the early days, it was effectively me with a, a plastic block going around speaking to people, and then of course, about three or four months after it all kicked off, um, lockdown happened. So um, so so we started the whole journey really in the middle of a uh, in, in the middle of, of lockdown. And how did that go? Actually, quite well. I, I mean, it, it, well, we're still here, so so yeah. I think that's the first tick. Um, we we were very fortunate. Um, I had been put in touch. One thing that had been done prior to me coming into the business was a little bit of testing um, with a, a company called Impact Solutions, and they had flagged up as an opportunity um, with the Ministry of Defence. Actually, they they put out an open call for field fortification so looking at how can we build things in the middle of um you know remote locations very quickly and and they sort of flagged this opportunity to, to us um and we, we 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 took the product to the mod and we we pitched what we what we had at that point we had a handful of blocks and and, and some really good um cadrons you know and, and things like that but they that was our first win so just just before lockdown, we won our first contract um, for for 125 grand from the MOD to take the idea and start trialing it and move it forward, um, and that gave me the traction to then take on to investors. Um, so the majority of the first lockdown was spent me um, pitching to investors and saying, right, this is what we've got, this is where we're going. Obviously, the pandemic's caused some issues in terms of supply chain because originally at that point we were making out in the in the in the Far East, so so we were yeah. manufacturing overseas, so that caused no end of challenges. Um, but that that first sort of year or so was really about sort of setting the stall out to to try to grow the business, and then when we came out of lockdown, we actually came out in quite a good place with investment in. We could start building a team start manufacturing more product and get it out to customers. And um, so actually, all in, it gave me a, you know, I was, there was nothing else to do. I was just sitting, plugging, plugging away for a year and a half until we got, got let out. So, um, so yes, that was, that was quite and good. And Andrew, can you, can you tell us about the support you got through, I'm always interested to hear how entrepreneurs make this journey and because we think we're putting a lot of support run about, but there's sometimes gaps in there. So how did you get on? in the, the kind of earlier days. So Saltire was pivotal 
Yeah, so so um, so personally, definitely, Saltire and 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 that continues to be, you know, the network that was built from that and and, and everything continues to be a great support to me. Um, the looking at the business specifically, we benefited. We won Scottish Edge, which was excellent. So we won Fantastic. the Circular Economy Ed, Ed, Edge Award, um, which was which was huge for the business at that particular time. Right. Um, we also are account managed by Scottish Enterprise. So we've got a real, you know, really solid support network there. And we also um, have our first round of investment was with the Angel Syndicate Equity Gap based in Edinburgh. Okay. And, right. and obviously a lot of support has come there as well. Um, so, so yeah, we've, we've been, we've benefited from, to be fair, I'll get a, a piece at anybody's door, you know, if there, if there's, <laughs> if there's support out there, we're taking advantage of it. And even things like we, we bring in, um, Saltar Foundation scholars every summer to work with us, and that's acting as our kind of talent pipeline, if you will, um, which which has been really good. And to be honest, I mean, one one of the biggest supports probably um, friends and family because it's not an, it's not a particularly easy journey. Yeah. Um, my my other half, Rebecca's excellent. You know, she'll she'll sit me down and and um, you know talk me through the the really challenging days, and that that really helps. But in terms of, I think we're we're I always say this to. To colleagues and contacts down south, I think we are privileged actually in Scotland. We're we're we're, we're blessed to have the support network that's 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 here um, and long continue. That's great to hear that. Great to hear. Tell, tell the people a wee bit more about the product. We've described it as a mechano Lego set, but tell them how it works. So it, it's it literally is the the beauty of it is its simplicity. So yeah. quick block arrives and you can start building straight away. Um, and it, and it's you know in terms of what we use it for, I've mentioned obviously um, we've we've got a contract with the, the the MOD, but there's also people that use it in their gardens. You know, people during lockdown were building bars in their gardens with it. <laughs> um, we've had um, you know we, we've got customers in the agricultural space. We've got um, pop up events. You know, various different things. So what what we always tell people is. If you're building a structure that's going up for a day and coming back down again, quick blocks your answer. If you're building something that's going to be there, you want to build it yourself and it can be there for 20, 30 years, quick block is also your answer. But the beauty is it's made from recycled plastic, but it's reusable as well. So you can build things, take it down and, and build something else. So in terms of um, our journey, the biggest thing's actually been, where do we take this stuff first? You know, where, where do we take the product and, where, you know, who, who who uses it? The original vision was around humanitarian aid and disaster relief, and that's very much our beating heart, but clearly there's other markets out there and other interests from other places. So obviously right. with some of the things that are going on across the globe at the moment, you must be in demand. So, yeah, there's 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 clearly demand um, on the, you know, both from the the, the kind of MOD, we've, MOD and US um, side of things. We've got a lot of traction. We're still relatively early stage in that journey, but, um, but there is a demand for, you know, temporary structures and remote locations. There's, there's demand, particularly for the humanitarian aid side as well, clearly. Um, and and that's something that, that, that we're, we're actively working on. We've developed a, a solution. We actually, as, as a result of the earthquake in Turkey and, and Syria recently, there was a, a, a call come in to us, you know, how would your, your product compare to a 40-foot shipping container, which people were converting into homes? And we developed a thing called the Village in a Box, which is effectively a 40-foot shipping container containing quick block, which means you uh -huh. can build a village of 24 homes from that wow. shipping container and you're still left with a shipping <laughs> container to convert if you wish. So that that that's something that we're actively pushing and and, and hopefully going to be rolling out. We won a, a, a sort of worldwide competition 
on Disaster Tech this year. It was great. Um, we were invited out to Singapore to pitch to the Red Cross, to uh, Prudential, the, the large um, insurance firm. And we see their, their real potential there in terms of um, not only making a success of the business, but also helping people when they really need it. What about organisations like UNICEF? Yeah, so so that's that's kind of that's the that's where we want to get to UNHCR and, and UNICEF and, and places like that. The earlier, um, you know, the the route to that I think is larger scale trials, um, yeah. and that's what we're working on at the moment. So it's it's funny when I come into the business, um, and even today, it's it's clear, you know, it's what's driving is that that end goal of of creating this shelter, but it doesn't happen overnight, and we need to prove the product to the right people, prove we can manufacture at scale and do all that sort of stuff. Um, and that's the journey that we're on at the moment. And what kind of growth have you had over the last couple of years, not after COVID? Um, so, yeah, we, we, we from a standing start, we've, we've effectively doubled turnover every year with a slight blip last year, um, but we're, we've already overcome that in the, the first part of this year um, and we're projecting about half a million turnover um, this year. So we're still a relatively small business. Yeah. Um, but the 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 kind of the arena that we're operating in and the conversations that we're having, you know, we're doing trials with really large, effectively government organisations. So what we've been doing over the past year really is gearing the business up for those large contracts. So we've brought our production back. I mentioned it was out in, in China originally. We've brought that back into the UK, you know, really invested Brilliant. in that and, and looking at, um, you know, looking at that next step, which is is no longer going after, you know, I mentioned folk buying, you know, doing smaller projects. We're now really focusing on the big prizes and the big markets, which yeah. are the government contracts and the, the larger scale, you know, UNHCR, yeah. UNICEF and people like that. And how many people do you employ today? We employ five today, um, which is great. And we've got a, you know, we've got a team of, of others that support the business as well. But yeah. Um, but yeah, a small team based in Stirling at the moment um, and, a, and a, well, I think a lovely little industrial unit um, built out with a quick block <laughs> everywhere. It's like Legoland in there. But, um, but yeah, we're, we're, we've got five of us in the team at the moment, Willie. Uh, Brian. And Andrew, your journey is a very interesting journey. So when you look back on it, is there any tips for the listeners who are maybe out there early stage in their business, is there any thoughts you think, oh goodness, I wish I did that differently or that was a good thing or but any any tips for our listeners? Yeah, I think um I think the the, the one thing that, that we've done well over the time is is that we've we've not um or we've 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 raised finance, um we raised equity funding um, after about a, a year of, of, of me coming into the business, but we'd done so on the back of traction. So we'd done so on the back of, we had a, a good contract with a good customer. And then following that, we then leveraged that against us. You know, so we almost kind of staged that as we went up um, and 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 used one thing to, to fuel the next. So from that first investment, we built a team, we started going into other markets. We, we had some big wins and then we went back out for further investment. So we didn't go for a, a, a huge sum in the first instance. We've sort of stepped it and, and scaled it. Um, I think that would be one piece of advice. I think the, the other one is 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 get the right people in your team. We've we've had a, a great team since pretty much since day one. And in startups, it's you know, it's nothing without the amazing people you're working beside. So so that would be my yeah. advice. Don't underestimate um getting the right people in as soon as you possibly can. I think right. over the three years that we've been doing this and we've had this segment that we've had 
many people, big businesses, small businesses, but but your story was really interesting because we kind of loved the humanitarian part to that. Mm. And there is no doubt with what we're seeing going on at the moment in Gaza, in the Yemen, all over the world, you know, that um, I've got no doubt when something will happen in your business where some, you know, US general will walk into a village somewhere and say, how did you manage to put this up with no water, no electricity? I, I think that you are not far away from somebody turning on a switch in your business being a big, big business, uh, <laughs> knowing a bit about it. So we certainly hope that that happens. We're, we're, you know, delighted that you've come on and shared it with us. But... Hopefully, if there's anybody listening here, I know that the I know that the caring city do a lot abroad, so maybe it might mean that they might want to send quick block, you know, to some of the places that they are working in just now. But um, I've obviously, you know, I met you many, many years ago. I think probably might have been about the Malawi projects, maybe at Hollywood. Is that it, what it yeah, was? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, and obviously Tom, myself, we've been involved in Malawi projects for many, many years, and and when you see. You know the poverty. We, we think you now we talk about poverty that we have here, and it's it's terrible that you know in a nation of ours that we have. But when you look at these places, you know real poverty. You know kids with no shelter, we no water, we no food. I think all the efforts, especially for a lot of people in the west of Scotland in the past 20, 25 years, I think we must have helped Malawi. You know, I think I think Tom was it forty schools you built, something like well, that. Well, it, it was. Myself and, and others, yeah. obviously, Peter Cummings built a school, David yeah. McCutcheon, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, but I mean, it's, it's just a great, it's a great story, Andrew. And it's, there's some really good lessons for our listeners this morning to, to really listen, learn and put them into practice in their business, you know. So I love it. So well done. Yeah. And it's another case of talking to someone who's been through you know, as you say, the conveyor belt in Scotland should be very proud of the help that's out there for startup businesses and scale-up businesses. But someone else, we've had people in last week, 12 employees, 20 employees, five... See, if everybody we put through has five employees or more, then we'll never, never need to worry about unemployment in Scotland. Absolutely. <laughs> Andrew, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much Thank for Thank you very on. much, both. Thanks very Thanks, much. Thanks, Andrew, and the best of luck. Keep in touch with us and let us know how you're getting on. Will do. Thank you. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions, turning your paper-based processes into organised and digital workflows. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitisation, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work-from-anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk The board you can't afford. This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. So this week, a special guest on the board you can't afford, Tom, is Ken Adams. Ken is the Managing Director of Environmental Business Solutions. Welcome. Great to have you on, Ken. It's great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Would you like to tell us a wee bit about yourself, the company, and then a question for the board you can't afford? Sure. Um, my background's been within uh, the packaging industry until a thing called COVID came along and changed the, the climate for, for myself as well as many other people. So I had heard about a technology which I found very exciting. Uh, it was a, a technology for producing a disinfectant which is significantly stronger than any of the chemical products, but without any of the hazards. 
So when I was uh, looking to 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 kind of uh, relaunch myself, if you like, uh, I wanted to take a bit more control for myself rather than working for another company, and I came up with a brand called Chlorosol. And what this is is a it's a it's produced from salt water, which is then electrolyzed, and the resulting product is a hundred times stronger than bleach. Wow, a hundred times! A hundred times stronger. Yep, um, but doesn't contain any harsh chemicals. It's approved for direct food contact. Um, it doesn't leave any toxic residue. It's no allergens, so hypoallergenic. You can you can drink it. You can stick it in your eye. Um, you, you, <laughs> wow, literally. Well, like, come on, stick no, it in no, your I'm, eye. I'll, I'm going to leave that one to you. My God, for the listeners here, Kenny just been spraying this cleaning <laughs> fluid into his mouth. <laughs> uh, so, Ken, the big question is, can it get iron brew stains out my carpet? I drive my wife mad. <laughs> it absolutely can. Um, I, I, I would like to say I deliberately did it, but um, I gave it a red wine test. Oh. And we've got a cleaning product as well as a disinfecting product, two, two, two sides of the same coin, if you like. Right. And the, the, the cleaning product removed it perfectly. So that was the, that was the, the acid test, shall we say. Yeah. Right. Wow. Well, I can't wait to see that in action. <laughs> the next time I'm at Tom's house and I spill red wine in his cap, I'm going to need to keep your number on speed dial. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's perfect for cleaning up beans and, and all the rest. Any other cooking. Beans, oh, well, that's what he's always eating, so that'll work with him. Exactly, beans and iron brew, perfect. So, so tell us, I mean, you just were in the lab one day and you come up with this. How did you find the formula for this? Well, I've been working with the manufacturers um, and that's that kind of leads to the, the, the question I've got today because um, the, the position of the company is that we've got access to the, uh, the machines as well as the liquid itself and we're working with a wide range of manufacturers. So it's food manufacturers. Um, we're now uh, talking to, uh, to farmers, to dairy farmers. And this is all about getting the equipment and machinery and and putting that into companies that are currently using high volumes of, of, a, of a chemical disinfectant and replacing that with a, a, a better product that doesn't have any of the hazards or toxins of it, uh, uh, contained within it. And what about compared to cost? It's very much dependent. Um, what we found is that where the company is, is, a, is a high user, for example, they can actually install the equipment themselves. So you actually find it's actually cost neutral in a lot of cases, but one of the biggest benefits is you don't need to, to rinse it uh, it works at ambient temperatures. So um, if you look at the overall picture, uh, there can be a significant cost decrease. So if I went to buy the bottle that you've got in front of you against a bottle of disinfectant... Is it... it's, it's, it's more expensive. Yes. It's yeah, more expensive. Yeah, yeah. As, as, a, as, a single, as a single item, bill of materials, if you like, yes, yeah. it probably is a bit more expensive than a typical disinfectant. Yeah. But because there's no rinsing involved, the, 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 there's, there's no line time or very little line time, the overall cost to the to the manufacturer is a significant increase to productivity and profitability. But the key thing is, there's no danger involved, and there's no health and safety issues. Yes. So uh, human health and safety, um, there's no concerns with that. It, it, it doesn't require a cost statement because there's no hazards in it. Wow. So, so what's your question for us this morning, Ken? Well, that that, that really sort of brings it back into, it. and it's it, the question is that we've got this new technology and. We're in a position to offer uh, significant sustainability and animal welfare benefits to the livestock industry across the UK and beyond. So my question is, uh, what would be your recommendations to a new entrant in a market which is very traditional by nature? Right. Good question. Well, in my experience of dealing with the farmers, I've never met a group or a sector where the power of the union is so strong. 
So I would certainly say that um, to the board of the NFU, you know, that if you can get anyone there to listen to you, and I, I keep using this as my favourite phrase, but offer up a free pilot, you know, show them, demonstrate how it works, yeah. uh, get them to pick a, a large farm, small farm, and, and see how that goes. But I think that the one thing about farmers, if you can come up with a product and you prove that it's as good or better than the norm or, or, or what they're used to using, and then you can... The, the one thing they do, they don't want to get involved in anything that's more expensive. <laughs> but if you can say overall that it could be cost-neutral and it's much, much better and it's less danger, I think if you... that There is a kind of... The, the, the NFU actually, in a nice way, are, are kind of... They oversee the members. And I think if you can get to them, you don't have to get to thousands and thousands of farmers. If you get to, you know, influential people within that community, word will spread like wildfire. Excellent. Yeah. Right. And and Ken, can I just clarify here? Who is your ideal customer? There's a question. Um that don't say somebody that pays you the most margin. <laughs> <laughs> um we initially had a, a a disinfectant called chlorosol, which was available for it's essentially could be used by everybody, all businesses, all individuals. And it was extremely difficult to take that out to the market. And that's why we launched a product called Chloropet, which is focused at the pet industry. And uh -huh. then since then, we've taken the hydrovine, focusing at the, at the livestock and farmers. So our ideal customer is, is one that kind of crosses each of those. You know, so, someone who's looking after maybe the farming industry, but also uh, um, the horse industry. Uh, uh, there's, we're bringing out an equine brand as well because it's benefit for the horse. Uh, you can use it directly on or around the horse. Right. So I would, my suggestion to you is for each of these market segments, different customers there, and it is pretty much traditional industries and you're the change agent, mm -hmm. which is always difficult in the beginning. But I would get people who were recognised, um, had credibility in these industries and get them on board somehow to look at your product, understand it, and then they can be the voice because the best way is word of mouth in these industries. And But there are usually key influencers in each industry. And if you can identify them, get them on side to be your marketing, that's how I would, I would go about it, Ken. Well, when we bring guests on that we're always, you know, we're trying to help, you know, and, and encourage them. And I've just been thinking while you're talking to Tom there, um, I know someone who's a key guy in the farming industry. He's a good guy. He used to be a senior di um, director with with, um, with one of the big milk companies. I'll say he was a wise man. That'll give you an idea of who he used to work for. But, so uh, it's not old McDonald's? No, um, so I'll, I will have... Um, He's actually a deputy lieutenant in South Lancashire, a guy called Sandy Wilkie, and he's well-respected, well-known within the farming industry. So I will try and see if um, my good lady can hook me up with Sandy and I will introduce you to him and see if that gives you a wee leg up into the, the farming community. Oh, thank you very much. Brilliant. Brilliant. We'll watch with interest to see how you go. Absolute pleasure and thank you for coming on this morning. No, thank you very much. Really good to meet you both. Brilliant. And can thank you. Keep in touch with the show. Let us know how you got on. I will do. Brilliant. And I I hope you go out there and clean up. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Helping your business with document management, print and IT solutions.